Hey, welcome to Bo's Cafe. Good morning, everyone. And we have lost two <laughs> friends along the road, Bill and Bruce. I don't even want to tell them where Bill is because everyone will be so yeah. jealous. Yeah, there's no need, to, just, no need no. to tell. Bruce, no one's jealous of No, Bruce is working like, work like a yeah. man on stilts who has one leg. <laughs> I don't know. But Bruce, Bill is not. Bill yeah, is having a little bit more fun. That's that's right. But the that's man right. is in his 70s. Let the man play. Yeah. yeah. And not even his early 70s. No, no, deep into the deep 70s. Into the 70s. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, he can see the 80s. That's right. Know? Yeah. He can. He's moving past disco right now. Oh, absolutely. Just, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Bruce, on the other hand, is just working hard. Yeah, yeah. And that's always, it feels the way it is. That guy doesn't even know how to rest. He doesn't know. He thinks he's resting right now yeah. at a five-day workshop where he's... We need to take up, speaking of love offerings, yeah. that yes. we, where you were at recently. I I've, just, I've never been a part of one, but yeah. we should take a love offering for Bruce <laughs> to just send him away. Just, Make him sit. Yeah, three, Make, three and a half weeks in a lazy boy. Yeah, have guards uh-huh. around him that force him uh-huh. to sit. Just, you, you sit there. Yeah. No internet access. He just has to eat celery. He would be miserable. He would. He would be even oh, if you. Man. He just. Yeah, I don't think that's true. After five days, he would get it. He would. But but he won't let himself. So do if that. you have a vision for that tonight. What was that? You pulled out an old '60s revivalist. This is David and my maiden voyage Uh of doing these. Uh It may be a regular thing the way those two guys are going. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. and you're thinking, please, no, No, let them come back. Make these men stop. So we're still in on my worst day. Yes, and uh, let's let's launch here. Yeah, this is 1987. And there's no awakening in this one, but because Bruce is here, I don't care. I mean, he, he demands that there be an awakening uh, for the story to work. But David and I, no. we're just going to read them. Hey. Yeah. All right, um, 1987. I told you when I was 11, I felt God. I f- I remember me saying, I felt something that night that I don't know how to describe. I don't talk to anyone about it but I never felt anything like it before. And I want life to be that way, the way it was those two minutes. I want it to come back so much. Well, tonight, here in 1987, I will see the best picture yet of what I felt that night. Stacy and I are sitting smack dab in the middle section of the prestigious Grady Gamage Theater in Tempe. We've been given tickets to see a new production of Les Miserables. I know Victor Hugo is a famous historic author. In Laguna Beach, there's an elegant restaurant along the Pacific Coast Highway bearing his name, but I've never read this book. I know nothing of what we are in for. I'm not even sure I've pronounced the title correctly. My disdain for much that passes as musical theater, it is well documented. So when the overture begins, I'm ready to endure an evening of over-emoted, vapid spectacle. But it's free and the seats are great. Bring it on, affected garish vanity, bring it on. Then the scene with the priest and Jean Valjean explodes upon me. Suddenly, the entire world around me recedes. and I am alone, staring in the cold, thin blue light enveloping these two. You may know the story. 
A priest takes in a desperate Jean Valjean after his release from prison, and he is repaid by having his silverware stolen. The priest discovers Valjean in the middle of the robbery. Valjean knocks the priest down and runs off. The next day, the authorities return a captured Valjean to face the priest. What will happen next appears certain. Frightened old priests want their safety, their silverware, and uncomplicated justice and order. But this is a real priest who understands power. He knows no rehabilitation or restraint will change him. Jean Valjean is convinced he is only anger, revenge, victim, survivor, a just man turned hard by injustice. Love is foolish weakness to him. The priest knows he himself is infused with God. Love is his identity, and he is made to love the unlovely. He became a priest not for a title and privilege, but to give dignity to those who don't yet know who they are meant to be. Only one power will change Jean Valjean from the inside out, love wearing the cloak of grace. Sometimes old and feeble releases the most potent measure of brave and good. So the moment arrives. The authorities await the answer, which will send Valjean back to prison for the rest of his life. The priest has seconds to form his plan. He has already made his decision moments after he was knocked to the floor. Seconds are all he needs. Mature lovers don't have to weigh each moment. Their inclination to a responsive love has been formed in advance. It is instinctual. Words not unlike these follow. The lieutenant laughs. <laughs> he claims you gave him this silverware. Well, why, yes. Of course I did. But, my friend, I don't understand why you didn't take the candlesticks. They're worth over 2,000 francs. Why, why did you leave them? Did you forget to take them? The priest asks his assistant to bring the candlesticks from the house. The priest then personally places the candlesticks into the rucksack, carrying the stolen silverware. The lieutenant orders the captive to be unshackled, and the priest excuses the soldiers with offer of wine inside. He then draws close, so close to Jean Valjean, and he whispers, And don't forget, don't ever forget, you promised to become a new man. Jean Valjean responds, Promise, why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, you no longer belong to evil. With the silver I bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred, and now I give you back to God. How can this be? How will such a confounding, upside-down, utterly undeserved act of apparently foolish grace and mercy do anything? How can Valjean see anything but a foolish, irrelevant old priest standing before him? How can anything ever change? Valjean is still who he believes he is, a hardened, skulking outcast who must destroy to not be destroyed. Won't he soon steal again, only to be arrested again, only to have everything he has believed about himself validated once again? Ah, except for the power of love. More powerful than hatred, 
more powerful than shame, more powerful than the course of the world, the pattern of humans, the way of things, more powerful than who we falsely believe we are. The priest has played a well-worn card for long before this day he has understood his own failures, his own hidden failures, his own duplicity, his secret demons, and he has understood the unfathomable love of God who calls him clean, beloved, and free. The old priest stands and stares sternly into this man's face. He is speaking to the new man who will soon believe and emerge. He is calling to him with deep and solemn gravity. It's a voice and a strength which will haunt Jean Valjean until he obeys it. Then it will free him into a new identity, a new name, a new life. When the grace and love of Christ are seen clearly, they do not elicit a response of callous indifference or self-entitlement. They don't cause us to make sin less sinful or breaking God's heart less bothersome. It absolutely shatters our way of being. It either destroys the arrogance of our false piety or it strips bare the pretended enjoyment of our unbelief. At first, we don't experience grace as tender and comforting. It comes to destroy the old fortress. We don't experience love as fulfilling and desired. It comes to rip apart fear and unbelief. But once we see its unyielding demand, once we submit to its power and all-encompassing life, we become free. Freedom we have never even considered. In a moment, it changes the entire playing field and fills our hearts with dreams and pulsing life. Here in the dark of this theater, I am watching what I was feeling that night as a boy. My eyes are filling with tears. Already by 11, I had learned to survive, to mistrust, to manipulate, to play all who wanted to love me. I am no longer watching a play. I'm being transported back to my childhood, to the night God revealed himself on my frightening walk home. The words the priest speaks to Jean Valjean mirror the impression God flooded my heart with all those years ago. As though God was saying, John, you are marked now. You will run as fast as you can, but you will not be able to escape. You belong to me. You were made for a life of grace and redemption and love a freedom beyond what you can imagine. You have been bought. You just don't know it yet. And that feeling of being understood and adored by one who knows everything about you, well, it will lead you eventually home. You called me, and I answered. I rescued you. I revealed me to you. It has filled you with a longing you never knew you had. Run, my friend, but know that you have been marked. And now... This radical, inscrutable, life-giving grace will become my singular life purpose. I must find stories and pictures and ways in to allow others to experience this grace. Nothing else will matter to me. I will preach the grace of God. I will model the grace of God. I will live fused with God, the sustainer of grace. I will stand as an old priest in front of other Valjeans, and I will speak to that new man who will believe and emerge. I will fail at it, I will misrepresent it, and I will misapply it. But God will override every failure and create beauty I had never imagined to see. Hmm. 
That is a great, great story mm. in play mm. and a great application. Mm. Well, thanks for joining us at Bose Cafe. We'll see you back next week. Hopefully we will have more with us. And maybe Bruce will be in that lazy chair after all. We'll see. <laughs> I doubt it. Uh, probably not. Thank you, guys.